Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hi, I'm Adrian Marie Brown. Hi, I'm Toshi Regan. And this is Octavia's Parables. And we have a couple of announcements before we get into chapter nine. One is we've been mentioning for a few episodes now that Tanana Du and Monica Coleman did this webinar series, Octavia Tried to Tell Us. And I just wanted you to know that Exit the Apple is selling t-shirts that say Octavia Tried to Tell Us, and you can get them in lots of different cool colors and cuts. So exit the apple so that we can all have our, our uniform. And we also wanted to mention that both Toshi and I were part of the Allied Media Conference this summer and the videos of what we offered. So I was part of the opening plenary in conversation with Autumn Brown, uh, my co-host for How to Survive the End of the World, and Chani Nicholas, the People's Astrologer. And we had a conversation on what is coming over these next few months and how to work with the astrology of the times. And then Toshi was the closing ceremony and did a remarkable offering of uh, beauty and music and magic and thought. So both of those offerings are now available on YouTube if you just search Allied Media. And um, as part of our Octavia Scholarship, Emergence Strategy also offered Emergence in the Apocalypse on our Instagram page. So if you look at our Emergence Strategy, at Emergence Strategy on Instagram, our IGTV has a two-part conversation that we hosted during the Allied Media Conference as well. All right. Now, Toshi, we are in Chapter 9. This is a rough chapter, and it's just getting rougher. Do you want to give yes. us uh, some earth seed? Yeah, let me give you the word. All struggles are essentially power struggles. Who will rule? Who will lead? Who will define, refine, confine, design? Who will dominate? All struggles are essentially power struggles. And most are no more intellectual than two rams knocking their heads together. Earth Seed, the Books of the Living. We are at Sunday, August 17th, 2025. Mm. Thank you for that. That is everything we're talking about these days. Everything. (laughs) Um, We're seeing that all the time. All the time. Where are some places that you're seeing that, Toshi? I mean, especially just in terms of, you know, the... COVID-19 response. Yes. Um, There's so much evidence that is just evidence about how humans respond to the virus, what is necessary to um, lessen the spread of the virus, what doesn't tax our systems. And basically, it somehow has become a political... Um, mm-hmm. And I know they say it's political, but why? what do we mean when we say political? What are we really saying? Yeah. You know what I think is, 
I always say, and I did voter organizing like way back in the day, and I used to be like, oh, we make a partisan issue out of things that are actually not divisible in that way so that we make this something where you could have a right or left position on it when it's actually just like we live or we die and there's not really, it doesn't matter. And so COVID is a great example of this because it doesn't actually matter if you think that you shouldn't have to wear a mask because COVID doesn't have your politics, right? (laughs) Like COVID doesn't care about what you think you should or shouldn't do, or maybe how you think the virus should operate. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's still working the way it's working. And, um, one of the things I, I've been sitting with lately is how it really feels like we're in this reckoning moment where some people are like, I want to protect life, be alive, move towards life. And other people are in that ram position against that. Right. And I'm trying so hard to understand that motivation for me. It, it feels like uh, suicidal ideation, right? Mm-hmm. It really feels like, oh, I don't care about being alive. I don't care if anyone else after me come, is alive. I don't care if other people want to be alive. I'm going to get my hair done. Like yeah. it's, everything is just like in this instance and then who cares? And yeah. I, so this all struggles are essentially power struggles. Also feels like what does power look like and what does power mean to people? The power to live however I want or the power to create the world we want. And is it collective power or individual power? Mm -hmm. And I love, like, when I think of who do I want to roll with, I want to roll with those people who are concerned with collective power. Right. Right. I think you do too. So so tell me, Uh. yeah, like... Can you give us a summary? A lot happens in this chapter. It, you know, a lot happens in Lauren's family with her brother. And can you just give us a little bit of like the highlights here? Summary? Yeah. I mean, basically, we were talking about Keith before. Yeah. And this is oh, Keith, Keith on Keith. This is, this is, you know, uh, this is <laughs> Keith expanded. And, you yes. know, one of the things that, you know, we also really, um, get to look at as the father and, and we find out more information about the father and his particular like um, way of thinking, you know, how he should run his family and what is right and what is wrong and what's, what's, um, what's something that can be negotiated and what's something that can't absolutely cannot be. And, um, and then violence is violence is a big, big player in this, this chapter. This is like, um, you know, Keith yeah. has already, already, you know, left and come back and now he, he gets, um, to have a BB gun and, mm-hmm. um, and I think Lauren is really like my parents messed up. Yeah. Like immediately they messed she up. knows. Mm-hmm. She's like, they messed up. And it's, it's that kind of thing. Cause I know like people who, um, you don't even have to be a parent, just somebody who's like cares for kids. You always want to give them something they want. Like you oh, just yeah. want to give them what they want. And even sometimes like they should not have it, like, you know, <laughs> no. but you're like, no, no, no. You can have yeah. a phone, you know, when you're eight, like, you know, you can be on Instagram when you're seven. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Like, you or know, Nerf made- guns, you know, that the weapon thing has been such a big one. Like I feel like yeah. I see so many kids now who specifically want 
to play with guns, to play video games with guns, like to be a part of this violent world, you know? Yes. Yeah. So this is, this is really, this is really the, the, the chapter of, um, of the like really inner vibration of the family around all this, this new transportation, um, where, you know, the, um, Keith's elevation didn't get quieted by the BB gun. It just kind of elevated him. And it's really about, um, to me, it's about devastating decision-making. It's the, the decision-making that, you know, it's no way to take back. Like you can't get rid of it. And it's, and in this time, um, things are too tight and too on the edge for a process. Like, you know, like you're already in a cycle of existence and this existence doesn't actually give you time and space to like walk away, cool down, take a couple of days, drive up the coast, like bring yourself like <laughs> none of that is available. None of those systems are available. So it it just starts to feel like, you know, the whole time I read this chapter and the next one, I just kept wanting to put my hand on everybody's chest and be like, but wait a minute, but wait, wait, can you think about this a little bit more? Like, wait, 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 wait. And there's just no wait, wait, wait. That's right. There's no wait, wait, wait. That's, That's pretty right. much it. And we can go into the details, but there is no wait, wait, wait. Like you don't have time for it. Yeah. And they're moving through conflict, right? So this all struggles or power struggles really becomes present in how Lauren's father is interacting with his wife about what's going to happen with Keith and how he interacts with Keith. So Keith comes home having been gone for a little bit and Lauren's father beats him up, Yeah, which I think is a really significant piece. You know, for me that stood out as like, uh, so many of our families have that history of physical punishment, corporal punishment, and mm-hmm. different ways that that looks, right? So some people are like, oh, it's just a spanking, it's just a swat. And some people, it's like, it's a full beat down. And there's a huge wide range of feelings around it. But I'll say for me, I always feel like how we treat our children tells you everything you need to know about how we handle justice as a society. And in this moment, when you said that we we get a huge unveil mm-hmm. right that this is this christian man this christian leader and that under the pressures that he's holding as the head of household this is the behavior that comes out in him yes yes and i think you get that ram right because you know i i think we can all sense this a little bit now right like as as you know, what is the practice that we actually need to happen to, to say out loud our awareness? Because there's a way that we hold, you know, transformation and we feel very helpless. Like it's something happening outside of us and we see, we see it moving like a wave. And it's just like, you wake up every day and you look at something and it gives you these numbers of what's happening. And, you know, and, and then that becomes normal. So you don't react to it anymore. You don't like, but it changes everything about your existence. It makes you behave differently. It makes you feel differently. But what does it mean to actually, um, say, insist on the space to actually talk about it and to actually activate around it. Um, And not actually, because our information is like this, here are numbers. And I, and when I say not our, not our one-on-one information, but let's just say like the information that is kind of accessible 
if you want to engage with it, right? Mainstream media, kind of accessible if you want to engage in it. And it's it's political leaders, yeah. it's um, it's numbers, yep. it's it's numbers, and then it's like edit- editorials. And then a little bit, it's like, you know, and this is who released the record this week. And this this yeah. is the kind of sports stuff that sounds like this. But the main thing is, like, you got to get your numbers and you got to see, like, who did something stupid politically. Yeah. And then it's it's monitoring, like, all of these, like, acts of violence and trying to be brilliant about, trying to be right about how you talk about that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also this dynamic, like, you know, I think we want to sweep this under the rug a lot. Like when when it comes to someone else, we're like, oh, you are all a family or you're all from this group or whatever. You all believe the same thing. And so like, even when we look at the numbers, you know, I know this, that I look at the COVID numbers and it's like white people have this, black people have this. And mm-hmm. from that, it's as if you could start to infer some behavioral choices. Um, that's the way our country is structured instead of understanding like, oh, these numbers actually show you how the institutions of our nation are set up, right? Word. And it's one of the things that I always try to tease apart is the way the numbers are being presented to you on the news would make it seem that Black people are being irresponsible and don't understand how to wear masks or something. But what the reality is, is Black people and Latinx people and Filipino workers, and they're the much more likely to be the essential workers, much more likely right. to be in... Uh, poverty conditions that don't allow for social distance, much more likely to be under the poverty line where they can't actually access the kind of care that they need to be able to stay home or have their kids kept in a distance. Right? So it's like, right. oh, this these numbers, if you don't have a, an analysis and a lens, you can look at the numbers through the structure of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. White supremacy has a worldview that uses numbers to always reinforce its own supremacy. And what you're trying to do all the time is shift that lens, right? And uh, I'm reminded that Saeed Jones has that, the poet Saeed Jones has that line, white supremacy is a death cult. And (laughs) in a way, it feels like all these children, Lauren and Keith and all of them, are also living inside of this death cult worldview, right? They're in this little pocket as if they have more choices, but really they've got a very narrow set of options here and they're both trying to survive inside those options although it looks wildly different you know in the same way that today you know like I look at you you look at me we look at our friends and there's no one I know who would say I'm not trying to survive but it looks wildly different in terms of the boundaries people are keeping the protocols people are holding whether you let your kids play with other people or not whether you travel or not like it's so, it's just, right, we get to see this microcosm uh, in in Octavia's world of what we were living right now. It's yeah. just so, uh, it's so odd. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about, about how Corey and Lauren's father interact around this moment? Yeah, I can. And I think I, I want to say, like, you know, all of this violence and all of these decisions are choices. Yeah. And I think that their choices in the book, but their choices in our real lives, like you yeah. actually don't have to kill nobody to get where you're going and <laughs> you don't have to like these, exactly. all of these things are choices. Like we actually can just really 
live in such an com- incredibly different way. And it's, it's uh, as we are moving through the, the book and seeing our very own down the roads, it's really, really frustrating to see this family be behind a wall, be like using all their genius to survive and live because that's what we're, we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live. Yes. You know, it's not even survive. We're just supposed to live. Yeah. So just now they're in survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're behind the wall and they're like really functioning. They got food and they got, mm-hmm. you know, they got each other. And even the people they don't like, they like learning how to live with. And they have all of this <laughs> stuff. And you see the yeah. reverend is like, who knows what it was like before yeah. is, you know, has watched access to basic freedom and human rights and has lost access to that. The majority of people literally don't go around killing each other, which is where we live now. The majority of people don't do this. Majority of people want to be happy, want to be fed, want to engage, want to have fun, want to learn, want to prosper. You know, even if they don't know how, they do want to be one with the earth. They might need some help learning how to do that, but they do. Majority of us could want that. How do we let like these these few people dominate so much our right. experience as humans on earth? So I imagine Reverend Olamina, by the time he is like inside the wall and his children do what they're supposed to do, which is like grow up and start to get grown. Yeah. Which we do what when we're eleven and twelve? Exactly. <laughs> we I start to get my grown. own thoughts. I want to. I want to differentiate yeah. from my parents. Like I'm, I'm my I'm, own person. I'm my own person. Yeah. And parents, you know, Corey and Reverend Alamina's dynamic is like to me the way we have them in the opera is that they are like they are like ride or die. They are like in it yes. to win it. Like they're like, we going to hold on and we got God and we got our skill and we got these babies and we're going to make it work and yes. we're going to get to the next place. And they start to have some really huge disagreements. Um, yeah. And one of them is really the, the, one of them is the violence, but another undercurrent is how Corey feels about the children that she had with Reverend Alamina and Lauren. And Lauren is like, you know, I think Lauren is a child that she likes, you know, and that she probably loves. And, um, but that she has some issues around Lauren as, as, um, not being like born, born from her and the children who are born from her. It's that blended family realness, right? It's that blended family realness. Mm -hmm. And I think she has an issue because Lauren is spectacular. Spectacular, yeah. Lauren. It was we don't really give her enough praise, but Lauren is yeah. spectacular. Like Lauren has finished high school. She's yes. fifteen years old. She's finished high school. She's taking college courses. She learned Spanish with the kids. She knows how to cook. She knows how to teach classes. She's athletic. She's she's everything. Exactly. She's just spectacular. She's taller than everybody except for I think Reverend Alamina at this yeah. point. Like And she's, she's also count onable, right? Like she's the child who it's like we if we say we're gonna go out and we're gonna try to be safe, like she's gonna do that. Like she's gonna be a part of our systems and help. She's she's taking on adulthood with us yes. early, which is often, you know, as an oldest child, I'll say, like that's oldest child Realness also, you know, is like a lot of times, especially in crisis scenarios, oldest children are the ones who are like, okay, 
I have to pick up some of the emotional weight or the sometimes economic weight or yep. some of the other adult weight here. And so Lauren has stepped in and it's like, I'm here. I'm holding. Yes. I got y'all. Yes. I'm, ex- I'm an exceptional human being. Yes. And that she and her father have this twinning across time too. Same right? birthday. Same birthday. They're Deep both love. drawn to these massive visionary ways of being in the world and and being in conversation. So yeah, Corey is like, I feel all that, and I think yeah. that you wouldn't respond this way if this was if this was Lauren who was doing this behavior. Was yeah, missing, Corey, you know, Corey kind of like you know, she really she really they become they become on opposite sides of of the situation. Yeah, and it, and it really is kind of an opposite. Like I usually am like it's round with a bunch of you know things, but she actually is she doesn't agree with him she doesn't she definitely doesn't agree with him you know beating her son and it is like you beat my son like it's not well and i i really appreciate that too when that happens that lauren's hyper empathy manifest as vomiting which i thought was a cue from octavia like this isn't some half-ass experience you know this wasn't just like we could think that he hit him a couple times or whatever it's like no this was this was something that activated her to have a physical reaction to it. I like also that what she does is say, like, it actually affected the entire family in a, an incredible mm-hmm. way. The The two younger sons, they they both throw up like they and they cry. They're just like they can't deal. And then Marcus, like, you know, and this and I want to elevate Marcus a little bit because he is kind of like the brother that Lauren actually really, really, you know, clicks yes. with. Yeah. And he, he like, he has to run out on a porch. He can't take it. Yeah. And then he sees Lauren like having her reaction and he knows what that is, even tries to help her a little bit, Yeah. you know, and in the end stays by her like, you know, the whole night. So it's, it's a huge thing. Like it's not, you know. Yeah. It's not like when your grandma make you go get the switch, which I always hate it, but you know, she make you yeah. go get the switch and then she hit you a couple of times and then you yeah. cry and then, you know, no, this you is one of those again. moments where it's like, it breaks the family. It creates a, a fissure, like a fissure in the family, which then I, you know, I would argue they never recover from this. No, it's something that you can't forget. Yeah. You can't forget. Like I might, I might still love you. You know, I might one day like be able to sit in a room with you. I might, I will never forget what you did. And it is that, it's that level of, you know, and it's, you know, in my opinion, it was, it was the most like it was, you know, it's that time when you've been holding everybody up for so long, you forgot yourself. Yeah. You forgot yourself. So you're like, I I know what we should do. We should build a wall. And I know we should we should put a lock on the gate. Yes. I know what we should do. We should have a belt. You know what we should do? We should practice how to do the water in case we have a fire so we don't have to spend money on the fire. I know what we should do. We should have a school. I know what we should do. We should have service in my house on Sundays. I know what we should do. When every yes. child turns 15, they're allowed to come outside the gate and practice and learn how to shoot a gun. I know what we should do. We should baptize the children. I know what we should mm. do. Like, I'm, daddies, I know what we should do. I know yes. what we should do. I know what we should do. He don't know what he should do. He don't know what he should do. And I think in this moment, he particularly doesn't know how to manage his fear, right? Yes. Like, so often when I 
think back on times when, when I was hit, when I look at other parents in my life who will be like, I lost it, <laughs> right, with my yeah. kid, it's always fear. It's always fear, that moment of I, I lost control. I didn't know how to handle the situation. And I feel like in this moment, I always read this as a combination of terror and patriarchy, right? That there's like, mm. I am the patriarch and I have laid down the laws for what's supposed to be happening and you are disrespecting those. And that's part of why I'm responding this way. And also I am terrified. I am doing everything I can to protect you and to keep you alive. Our family can't handle it if you're not alive. And right. you're you're throwing that back in our face and I'm, I'm scared and I don't know what else to do. I'm going to beat this behavior out of you. And yeah. like just thinking like, well, we'll get to the questions, but I'm just sort of like, oh, oh what yeah. are the other pathways that could have split in some parallel universe at this moment? But but they don't. Yeah. So he goes they out don't. again. Yeah. And he goes out again. And Keith, you know, Keith is about this outside life. Like, and that's just what the, what they had to know. And I, I have to say, like, I know people like that growing up. Like they left home, like at, they were about the outside life when they were like twelve or thirteen, and they could yes. be, could not be in a house with yeah. their daddies. And yep. I really I saw a fight one time, and it was really it was really like one it was mind blowing because it was you know a kid that was a little bit older than me, but not a lot. But he grew, he jumped, his height jumped, uh-huh. right? And one summer his height jumped. It was like if we got to March, he was shorter than his dad. And when we got to July, he was taller than his dad. Yeah. And his his dad had not made the adjustment. <laughs> yeah. And it's like yeah. he he came outside to get his dad. He came out. Dad came out outside to get his son. His son was like, Dad, I'm I'm allowed to stay out at this time. Like I want to stay out a little more. And the father was like, Boy, if you don't get yourself up in this house, blah 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 blah. And he was like, No, that's not fair. Like you did it. Boy, I told you if I have to tell you then, I'm gonna come down. And then this is what. Come on down then. Yeah. Ooh. Come on down then. And we mm-hmm. were all like, duh, duh, duh. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, it, and the dad, the dad took himself back in the house because he was like, oh, we're there now. Yeah. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than me. My Am I going to let myself get beat up in front like of all these children? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we well, get to and, that. Well, so this, like, this is this moment where Keith is like, I'm not listening to you. Like, I don't care. I'm leaving again. And this time, so he's taken the gate key, which means, right, he's taking an action that puts everyone at risk. And he's taken his mom's gun with him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's He knows, he now knows where he's going. Mm-hmm. And he now knows what he needs to get to go there. And he's yeah. not letting go yep. of, of where he's been. So he's like, I'm going to have both places. Yeah. And this is how I'm going to do it. Yes. And, you know, the parents um, have this fight, you know, where it's sort of like, okay, Lauren's dad is like, I'm I'm not going out after him again. Like, he's endangering us all. And this is, you know, a couple months, you know, it's like the, the fight happened, he got beat up, and then a couple months later... He's going out again. He's taking more stuff with him. And the father's like, I'm not going. And and Corey's just, you know, there's just like, we can't, we cannot get to 
good on this. And he sleeps, he goes to sleep in the office, which is just like, this has broken us. We're not going to be able to get here. And I love that this is a place, one of the few places I feel like in the book where we get to see Lauren, like really mm-hmm. um, her emotional process of like, I actually hate him. <laughs> like, yeah. I hate Keith right now. Like he's, yeah. he is tearing my family apart and like, I have no room for this. Like, and you know, I feel that in her, like we need to be community minded. Like we need to be about what's happening in our family and you're tearing us apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it really makes me think of this right now time because I think that that is that idea of like, can you hold a communal position even when you want something completely different? If it will actually help to save and and balance and restore and all through um, our own great, like we are, I was like, this is crazy. And I'm saying like, mm. you know, it's just so wildly like I when I wake up in the morning, I make myself feel that I cannot believe we're still doing this. Yes. Like I make myself feel it. And I'm like, you know, you're going to feel it. You're not going to normalize. I take a minute to feel everything I feel because I really want to understand that that lie people have been telling themselves all the time. You know, if something happens to all of us simultaneously, that's going to bring us together. And I'm like, you know what? Wonderful things have been happening to us simultaneously this whole time. Yeah. We've been orbiting. We we don't have we got fresh water. We got air. Um, we got we got lots of wonderful things happening to us simultaneously. It did it didn't help our behavior in yeah. terms of what people want. and so now why would something devastating, like even more devastating, actually bring us together when we don't have a practice of togetherness? Right. We don't have a practice of treating each other well. We don't have yeah. a practice. Um, we take it we for don't granted. Have an, we take it for granted. And we we're have not a practice of taking things for granted. We have a pra- hello. We have that. So this this whole chapter really in in this inside the wall view really shows you like you can't stop. Yeah. You cannot stop like this this you know energetic force that's like I I don't belong here. And yeah. not only do I not belong here, I don't belong here with you. Yeah. And you know, and then when you get that other energetic force that's like I'm going to keep you here no matter what. Yes. And and if I have to beat it out of you, I will. Like there's, those are the, <laughs> the Rams beating their heads together. And no, it's and then, interesting. Oh yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, well, no, I was no. going to say, then there's this scene that I think of it as the Scarface scene <laughs> where Keith comes back <laughs> with a big fat say. roll go of ahead. cash. Was it, was it that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, it's the Scarface exactly. scene. I always think of Scarface every single time where it's like, he comes back, he's got the money and everybody knows that, you know, this to me is something that Octavia has talks about many, many times is like money is a corrupt material, right? Like it's a corrupt thing. And this is one of the places where she's just like, we all know that that's either drug money or stolen money or nothing. there's no like, he didn't like just go raise a bunch of butterflies and make some money, you know? Yeah. And then he brings it home and she accepts it. And then he goes again. And I just think about this scene and the all of the values that are like clashing together in that moment. Yes. You know? Yes. What Lauren yeah. has come to value versus what Keith values and then what the parents value, which is yet two other directions. And yeah. 
And Corey is like, okay. Yeah. You know, she just wants him to, can't you stay here at home though? I want you to be here. Like you can do what you need to yeah. do, but I want you to be here. And I think there's also a sensibility, you know, she's like, we do need whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, but I think there's that. I feel like it's such a hard thing because you're like, if he's going to go get these things, it's going to be putting him in danger. And yeah. so that what you said about the devastating decisions that are being made here, like, yes. you know, I, I this is one of those moments where I'm like, oh, what if she had just pulled him close and yeah. been like, you know, no, baby, I don't need any money from you. I just need you to be here with me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. <sighs> um, so that's what happens. I have some questions that I thought thought up um one is it feels relevant right now because we have i think now i see a ton of parents who have been pushed well past their edge and well Hmm. past their capacity and so how do we actually redistribute power and decision making when adults are falling apart and and especially if, if the kids can start to see that things aren't going smoothly or what is the children's capacity. And I'm just, I'm laughing right now because as we're recording this, our producer is on with us and a child, a beautiful child just crawled into her lap. Like yeah. we're, <laughs> it's like, it's very real time. But, you know, like, how do we, how do we engage this shifting of power? And, you know, one note I have here is, that Stanford actually told professors to leverage teenagers to address the lack of, of childcare. So there's a way that in very real ways, right? Children, Mm -hmm. children are being expected to adultify quickly right now to somehow be capable of taking care of themselves at home while their parents work or taking care of themselves um, and, and teaching each other somehow, or just staying out of the way. Um, but I know that there are also kids who are figuring out how the household runs and figuring mm-hmm. out a lot more about how their parents' relationships actually work because they're around mm-hmm. each other all the time and all these things. So one big question I just have is like, how do we address the redistribution of power and decision-making as as so much more data becomes available um, across age, age gaps? Yes. Um, another one is... How do families navigate traumatic conditions without putting false masks over things? Mm. Like this actually isn't a time that you can really cover it and or that, that covering what's really happening is of good benefit. It actually endangers our babies. If we yes. don't let them know, here's the risk of going outside without a mask or not staying six feet away or here's why you can't go see your friends. So how do we be honest and compassionate with our children? And maybe I'll ask this one now too, and then take a pause and see if you have thoughts on this sort of triptych of questions is what is childhood in an apocalypse? Mm. Mm, mm, mm. What is childhood in an apocalypse? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, those questions are all really, really, really good. How I, I want to, um, listen to this when it comes on and ask myself the question. Yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't in this conversation. Yeah. Um, I feel like I do that too. I've been listening back yeah. and being like, oh, damn. Oh, my God. I really yeah. love this podcast a lot. Me too. I love it too. Yeah. 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 I really love yeah. it. And 
Um, I think I think um, one of the things that came to me with with those questions too is is um, what are what are practices that you're having as a family that actually mm. bring you together? And you know, I was gonna say like aw- away from dinner, but or breakfast or meals, but it could be you know something before a meal or something. How are you? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you making a, a you know an endurable practice something that that yeah. that is um adaptable and that you know that can offer trans transportation like i have a friend who's um her family they meditate at the same time every day yes you know all together like they yeah. just it, when it's time like nobody everybody drops everything whatever they're doing and they have mm. uh, a family meditation session and then it's over and then they, they go back into these things but after Do you y'all have, have practice. any practices like that? Me and t- no, I have a practice. I have a breathing practice. Yeah. Um, like my friend Morley, I re- breathe with my friend Morley, mm-hmm. and it's I've been doing it the whole time, and um, mm-hmm. and I invited Tishan to come into the um breathing practice with us, but she didn't want to do that. Uh-huh. Um, so so we don't really have one, but I don't know. We, we do, do a so little many like things together. family week, like a weekly conversation so which is a big deal for us like we have never done anything like this since we all became adults and it started like I think we started in April maybe and Mm. um, it's just like every Sunday morning we spend we do basically two rounds on zoom you know they kick you off after 40 minutes so it's like (laughs) we do two rounds of 40 minutes so about almost an hour and a half and yeah. sometimes all the babies show up, you know, it just kind of depends on like where everybody is, but yeah. we get on and just make sure that we see each other, that everybody has a sense of like how each other's bodies and health are. And mm. then we catch up on different things. And it has been interesting to, to just be like in the ritual of the practice, like, oh, I need yeah. this. And then a friend of mine has started basically like a church. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it feels like a church experience. And I've invited my family in and my mom has started coming with me and my sweetheart comes with me. But it's just like going every week, which again, if you had told me like, you know, I have avoided church most of my adult life. <laughs> um, and because it used to really be a place that I would go and hear things that I didn't believe or hear right. things that I could not challenge. But now it's like of, of people that I care about and love who also love me, where we're saying to each other things we really believe and reckoning with things we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. But to me, it feels important in a new way. And I think because of Octavia's teaching, it feels important right. in a new way to engage my family in that process, even if it's even if it's one member at a time or just sharing back out some of what comes in that space because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want us to have as deep an alignment ideologically as we can given what we're up to right now. Like I don't want to, I think the split I held for most of my life was like, I'm just radical Adrian and my my (laughs) parents are just my sweet parents who, you know, think what they think and whatever, right? That everyone can be mm-hmm. in different positions and that's okay. And it's just a little tense over the holidays. But now I'm like, no, like we're all going to die. So I really want us to like be on the same page, 
so that when I start making my radical suggestions for what we need to do to survive, that they yes. land well <laughs> and that we have some practice of having harder yes. conversations, you know? Yeah. You know, I guess we, you know, that's our Friday night dinner. Uh-huh. So we have a family dinner on Friday nights and that that's where a lot of that, a lot of that happens. Um, and it, surprisingly, like you definitely can live with people and my kids grown. So you just yeah. don't have dinner every night. You don't get up at the same, like, it's just, it's, it's good. We've been doing really good, but that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And in this question of like childhood in an apocalypse, this feels like, um, this feels like almost an unanswerable question or like one that it's almost like every minute of every day we're figuring it out. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of parents in my circle, which I think is the good news of my life. And so I feel like I'm watching a lot of parents navigate. So, you know, initially it was like, obviously we're just going to keep our kids inside and keep them safe. And then yeah. hitting this place of kids need socialization. Kids need yeah. friends. Kids need company that's not adults. Kids need yes. to be outside and move and play. And kids need nature. And yes. kids, right? So all of those things are still true in the apocalypse. And I feel like I'm watching parents contort their own boundaries in a lot of ways in order to make sure that their children still have childhoods and Mm. doing that without the support of a government that is loving and caring for us. Because I also have parents who have children in other countries and I'm seeing how much more is possible in places where like say Germany, I have a friend who's raising a child in Germany where, you know, instead of 1200, they get, they're getting like 3000 in regular payments and rent is canceled. And now they're able to form pods with other families that are nearby and actually take turns with parenting and taking care and working because, you know, everyone, no one is like, we're about to lose our homes and all this other stuff is going on. Like, they're like, oh, that part of our lives is secure because the government's taking care of us. So we can actually put enough attention on to the children, right? And yes. I posted something, there's an Octavia Butler emergent strategy group on Facebook. And I posted one of these, I, I'm also in this like mommy's unite group because I'm like an auntie who's just like obsessed with how we raise our children. <laughs> but, you know, folks were talking there about like, well, how are we transitioning how we do education? Right? Like, are we all right. homeschooling now? Like what's going on? And was just fascinated by like, this is actually a huge period of emergence for how parenting happens and how education happens and how we raise our children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are leaders out there like Movement Generation and and other folks who are like, here's how this too can be a just transition towards the kind of education and thinking and lifestyle that that we know we need to get in right relationship, right? Um, But it's like these babies that are living right now are the transition generation. Yes. Yes. Yes, yeah. all of that. And that's just, we can't say it enough, but the decision-making um, is it, that's coming from our government in this particular time is driven towards destruction yeah. and d- driven towards death and driven towards illness and driven towards depletion. And we all have the capacity to work um, work in the vision that we are, what, that we know. 
and we don't have to accept that that territory which puts us into a battle i mean into the just strangest battle like <laughs> the battle for brilliance versus like let's just not educate any children let's just let a generation of children just not have what they need like exactly that's like, like really these are exactly. some basic ideas <laughs> exactly and or you know i think of emergent strategy as like intentional adaptation and mm-hmm. then you can see the difference between intentional versus unintentional. Like Betsy mm-hmm. DeVos is like, just get the schools open. I don't care how y'all figure it out. It's like, that's mm-hmm. unintentional adaptation. That's like, we hate kids and we hate people. Yes. And then yes. we're like, okay. So one question you said, which I would love to hear a little bit about if you have offers on this or you're hearing about this is how do you and how can you make time for intentional decision-making when you're in a crisis? And it's like trying to be the force that says wait versus that energy that's like now everything is urgent, we're go, go, going. Like what are you seeing around that intentional decision-making? I mean, well, I think about it like when I look at time, yeah. Like, you know, I think it's really important to think about like your day and to become adaptable yeah. in it because one of the things that I thought is the reverend valued baptizing the children right. so much. Right. Like he he saved all this money, he got other families involved, and then he risked everybody's life traveling outside. They went Ooh. to the the, oh. the church. They had good water, like, you know, and then they risked their lives to get back home. Like the Reverend really, like, that was so important to him. And I think like what this time calls for is, uh, and I know it'll sound weird, but it's almost like, can you, how much can you blank slate and recreate? Like, and then do that when you need to do it. Because, you know, because you might be able to see what you're, everything you're working with. Like if, if he could have seen everything he was working with, um, he would have known, right? Lauren had no interest in this. Yeah. Keith really, really was against it. Um, Corey and him are already baptized. Like, you know, exactly. um, like, Like, is this really the necessary risk to take? Yeah. Yeah. So there's that deep breath. And it also sounds like this ties into that first question. Can you actually one of the ways I think of redistributing power is like, can I just ask, can I ask other people what they want? And, you know, I'm a Virgo facilitator. So one of my superpower slash super kryptonites (laughs) is that I always think that I can figure out what everybody needs without really having to have a conversation and then Mm -hmm. meet those needs and control the entire situation so that no one is ever, you know, in a problem situation. Like I got it handled. And it's been such a refreshing learning experience to be here in the house with my partner and my parents who I'm living with my partner for the first time. I'm living with my parents for the first time as an adult, really. You know, I came home once during a breakdown, which is so different, right? Now I'm like, I'm highly functional. I'm post-sabbatical. I'm 41. I know how I want to do things. And and it's just been so beautiful to have, have all of them just be like, we don't need your Virgo management and um, to have me also realize I don't even have it in me to give to everyone. And also like 
we need what each of us is bringing to the table here to be acknowledged, to be seen, and for our needs to be articulated. And yeah. and that's just four of us who generally like each other. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that's what it takes for us to line it up. And I'm just thinking of so many other families who, you know, are are haven't necessarily said, wait, let's make a moment to check in with each other. And that's one of the major things I offer to everyone I meet is I'm like, did you talk about it? Because <laughs> people mm-hmm. always come to me like, so-and-so is doing this and this and that and that, and getting on my last nerve. And I was like, did you take a moment to just say there's a tension, to name that there's a tension and talk it through? And I think so many of us don't do that or right. don't know how to do that yet. And in this book, in these chapters, I'm like, life or death depends on being able to slow it down and have a different conversation, mm-hmm. right? A conversation yes, that brings does. you together. And the last question I actually have for this chapter is how do we invite back in family members who are behaving in ways that endanger and harm them and us? And and conversely, how do we navigate boundaries when a family or community member is endangering the rest of the family or the community, right? So if mm. if we can't bring them back in, how do we set a boundary and how do we live with that boundary? And this feels so COVID relevant right now. <laughs> it's like, yes. you know, I think a lot of us are just being like, oh, well, if you decide to take the risk, we'll just all live with the risk because I can't imagine setting a boundary and, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, how do we navigate mm-hmm. this? How do we invite people back yes. in? And I'll just offer for me that um, early on in COVID, when I felt like I'm freaking out and no one else understands yet, because I I was in Italy. And I when I landed in Italy, it was right before it took off. And when I was leaving, so it was like when I landed, everyone was out in the street. Everyone was everywhere. And when I flew out, it was already a ghost town and it was a ghost country and people were on ventilators and everyone was dying. And it just happened like that. And so I came back, I got back to the U.S. panicking, like both of my parents are in the vulnerable population and I'm getting on the phone with them like, no, for real, y'all, like it's not just a far away, not, you know, like really. Mm -hmm. And there was so much panic and I was like, this is not working. And finally, I had to actually say, I want you to be alive. Like, I need you to survive. I need yes. you to survive. And in a calm way, right? In a loving way. But I was like, this is my invitation to you. Like, I want to be here and I want you to be here. And it shifted their capacity to hear me, that I wasn't panicking. I wasn't trying to send them every article <laughs> I was reading and, you know, <laughs> kind of conspiracy casing it. Um I was like, from my heart, here's what's happening, you know? Yeah, that's so, that's so beautiful, that, that transition, that, that journey you took. And I, I, I also think, like, one of the things I'm coming up, you know, with is that um, people really follow the rules yeah. in a certain kind of way. And I was, <laughs> and like, you know, somebody said to me, well, now we're in three, and so we can do this, this, and this. And then I'm like, but did something change with COVID? Like, did COVID change? Like, did anybody ask COVID if it was okay? Like, and and, um, people, 
COVID is exactly the same as it was. So I was like, but why? Like, how did it, like, I'm having the hardest time understanding. So I was like, please tell me, like, what, what happened? Yeah. You know, like, what did we do? Because I understand what's the country where they have no case, New Zealand? Is it New yes. Zealand with the with the the, the amazing leader? They yep. have no cases. And Taiwan the has is, no new cases. They, like, you know, places I, that have figured it out. Yep. Yeah. So they get to like go. They did their work. They shut it down. Yes. Everybody did the same thing. They had to do it a very long time. They they got all their cases done. Understand it's a small smaller country, but they really they were like, no, we want our lives back, and this is the only way to do it. And so they they did it. And now people can go to school and people can eat at restaurants and people can go to bars. So America, we have not done that not one time, nowhere. No, no nowhere. We have no example of it. So but we're but we're still like as a as an individual human being. Like <laughs> like you know you we ain't done it. Like why are you going to that bar? Yeah, so I great. think it's I think it's like as as um revolutionary as we feel and as independent as we feel rules really rule us like yes. we and I love a lot of our rules I love our rule of you know some of our social um you know mm-hmm. s- social issues things that we take on I love that there's stop signs I love that there you know lights <laughs> you know yeah. I love that we agree to drive and we're on the same you know I love a lot of the things we do together but some of the rules are like not designed with us in mind and I, I guess the question is like, what are the rules that are available to us that aren't designed with us in mind? Yeah. You know, because. I love that. <laughs> I love that, especially because this is where I think we see urgency thinking and a 24 hour news cycle and other pieces like that. Really, the impact of those is that we have our attention completely controlled now by these cycles that are urgent and that are constantly like, if there's no news, we will create it. We will, we will manifest. And you know, this fake news thing, it's like, Oh yeah, fake news. (laughs) We'll just make things up or Mm -hmm. manifest things into news. And I think these changing guidelines are like that. And so then having people, you know, like for me, I'm, I feel lucky that I'm in a friend group of people who are better at reading the news than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I will often check with folks, you know, and be like, I'm thinking about doing this and just see how they respond. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like if they panic and they're like bad idea, no, then I'm like, okay, cool. Just, yeah, I didn't think that was a good idea either, but <laughs> I just thought like, maybe, you know, <laughs> like I'll back up off a plan. And I feel like in this, in these spaces, there's something about being able to call people into like, what are our rules? What are mm-hmm. our values? What's shared and what's not shared? And mm. for COVID, I saw this really cool graph that was kind of like, what are the risk levels that mm-hmm. I found useful for having conversations around this? Where it's like, you know, if you're at risk level one, you're like, I never go out. I don't take any risk. Like, I don't right. go where people are. And then if you're at a level like five, six, you're kind of like, I mostly don't wear the mask. I mostly don't, you know, I I still go Mm -hmm. out to places. Maybe I keep some social distance, whatever, but like not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Haven't gotten tested, you know, and then everything in between and being able to know, like if I'm a three and you're a two, like how do we navigate that responsibly, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think we're going to have to figure that out. You know, I think that's what we're learning right now is like, 
how to be at different risk levels, how to be in communication around it. And then the thing I can't stop thinking about, and this maybe we can end here, <laughs> is like, mm. what is the risk? Like, can we, can we handle the risk of losing our people when they won't reach the, hold the level of boundary that's necessary to protect their own lives, mm. right? Can we handle the grief that we know will come? I feel like being in COVID right now is kind of like that. Like, I'm like, oh, y'all are having a party. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle the grief that comes because you needed to have a party right now. I just, mm -hmm. I don't know how to not feel anticipatory grief and anger. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's no longer like I'm being apoplectic for no reason. I'm like, all the data shows. So I think that's what Lauren's facing, right? All the data shows going yeah. outside this wall is a danger to you, but Keith is going to go. And that's where we end. Mm. Mm. There's a new world coming. Everything going to be turning over. Everything going to be turning over. Where you going to be standing when it comes? There's a new world coming Our podcast, Dr. Tavia's Parables, is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown, produced by Kat Aaron, and our show art is from Krista Franklin. We have a lot of music. Toshi tells us yes. about the music every week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, um, the music, um, Always See the Stars, was written by me and performed by me, and There's a New World Coming. That is um, by the uh, cast of um, Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, the opera, and the lead vocalist is Shana Smalls. And that was written by Bernice Johnson Regan and um, some additional lyrics by myself. You can find us on Twitter at O Parables, and you can sustain our show on Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash O Parables. We, one of the things that'll be coming soon that we're going to be using the resources we're earning for is getting episode transcripts so that folks who can't hear this can see it and experience it. Thank you for listening. Thank you. There's a new world coming every time.